Guide us now as we look at this text in 1 Peter chapter 3. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just a couple other things of housekeeping as we begin to journey into this text today. Oops, I'll go back. Just a reminder that next Friday, we're having Mike Thigpen, who is the executive director of the Evangelical Theological Society in this very room. Uh, I said we have 10 seats left. We only have five seats left, uh, 200 uh, in attendance. Uh, this is exciting to have him come. I'm just looking forward to it. So he will be here on Friday night. You don't want to miss it. Uh, is he going to talk about what does it mean to know God? And uh, I'm, I'm also going to have him highlight a couple other things. Uh, and we've got some fun things planned for that evening as well. So uh, bring an appetite for some dessert and, some, and an appetite for good fellowship in the Word. Yes, Dan. <clears throat> Okay. Okay, great. Thank you, Dan. Be praying for Dan, too, as he's looking for a job. I know there's several in this room with employment issues, so be lifting them up. All right, well, First Peter, <clears throat> we have been journeying through this book, and we looked at the, the prologue and moving through chapter 1 that there are four commands that come out of our glorious salvation. We saw those, hope, holiness, reverence, and, and love. And then what we've been looking at, looking through chapter 2 and going into 3, is, okay, taking those commands, how does that play out in life? We looked at it as a citizen with a, a local government. We've looked at it with slavery. And now we're looking at it, a topic that, to be quite honest, is right up there with money and with politics, a subject you don't normally address in public, and that's marriage. All right? <clears throat> this, is, this is not an easy text. It's like fingernails across, across a blackboard in our culture that we live in. For some sitting in this room, we've got some singles, uh, and we also have some who, who've um, walked through divorce. And so this topic is uh, a sensitive one. So I want to hopefully handle it with care, but handle it from the text and, and look at what Peter has to say. Peter is not the first apostle to address the role of marriage. Christ did. And so did Paul, and Peter is not going to shy away from it either because, he, again, he's showing the practical applications in godly living, and it also comes to the home. And so that's where we are. <clears throat> so if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'm glad I'm speaking only to men today. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I once had a debate uh, with an egalitarian, and I was the complementarian, and that was a very interesting uh, discussion. Um, we won't go there, but uh, huh. anyway. <clears throat> in the same way, he starts off. And what's in the same way? What have we been dealing with? Slaves being subject, uh, Christians being subject to uh, their, uh, or to submitting to the government. In other words, acts of obedience. Wives, he says, be subject to your own husbands. That's loaded. All right, we're not done. <laughs> he says, then, even if some are disobedient to the word, in other words, some of the husbands are, are unsaved, not all, some are, he said, they will be won over without a word by the way you live. When they see your pure and reverent conduct, let your beauty not be external, the braiding of hair and wear wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, 
but the inner person of the heart, the lasting beauty of a gentle and tranquil spirit, which is precious in God's sight. For in the same way, the holy women who hoped in God long ago adorned themselves by being subject to their husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Try telling your wife that this morning. All right, you need to call me Lord. You become her children when you do what is good and have no fear in doing so. And then he comes to husbands. He spends the first six verses just dealing with wives, and he gives men, he gives, oh, by the way, husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as the weaker partners. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> yes, and show them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life in the way nothing will hinder your prayers. Let's unpack this text and let's look at this and we'll address several ways it can be approached. But the first part of it obviously is dealing with instruction to, to women. And, and a few things that I've pulled out here as we look at this, again, he's addressing, as we've just talked about, as he states, in the same way is governing this whole discussion of submission. Uh, I would argue he's not saying here that husbands are to submit to wives. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament that is the case, but only the reverse, that, that wives are to submit to husbands. <clears throat> the first thing we see, as I mentioned in your notes, is that the submission is voluntary. It's a command to do it. They don't have to do it. And I also mentioned in your notes, which is, I think, very key here, is that this it's not the responsibility of the husband to ensure she submits. Did you catch that? If you have to tell your wife, you need to submit, you got a problem <laughs> on a whole lot of fronts, all right? <clears throat> I'm head of the home. Well, that might work for Ralph Crandon, but that won't work uh, here in the text, all right? And the Honeymooners, if you remember that whole series. Part of the reason that we see so much rhetoric to the women is in that culture, in the first century culture of a Greco-Roman world, the women were to embrace the religion of their husbands. And so what Christianity is doing, we saw in chapter 2, it's created a real problem with government because the emperor is to be lord of lords and king of kings. And how do you handle that? In an issue of slavery, there's another issue. If you've got a master who's a Christian and a slave is a Christian, they're equal spiritually, but there's still a distinction. And now you've got this issue where you've got wives who are married, some, to husbands who are not Christians, and they're not embracing that religion. They're embracing, embracing Jesus. So how do you handle all of this? This is very difficult. And so that's the context. And I think that's why we see six verses dedicated to women. But men, you're not off the hook. So we'll get to you in a minute. It's actually, <laughs> I think, tall order here, and, and we'll see that in a minute. But I think that's why we see this... Um, <clears throat> this address to women, because this is an, a social upheaval, so to speak, that women are embracing Christianity and not their husbands, gods, etc. And what do you do with this? The other thing that we see, not only are, is this submission voluntary, it does not imply inferiority. This is where a lot of women and men will go when they hear the wives are to submit. They immediately see, oh, this is inferiority here is what we're dealing with. Even the text, verse 7, look at this. It says, show them honor as fellow heirs. There's not inferiority spiritually. The text never said that. Ontologically, men and women are the same in Scripture. 
Galatians talks about that as well. Uh, spiritually, we are the same. What we're dealing with here is a distinction in function. Now, if I had more time, we would take you to Ephesians 5. I'd take you to 1 Corinthians 11. But Paul clearly indicates that this distinction is a function is rooted in God's created order. 1 Corinthians 11 makes that very clear. This is not a cultural issue. I hear people say, well, the wives submitting to husbands, that was a first century thing, a patriarch society. It has no application for today. Uh, that argument is no different than the same-sex argument. There, there's no distinction there. <laughs> because the issue of homosexuality, the issue of submission for wives, goes back to God's created order. So thus, it's not a cultural thing. It's what God has designed. It's very significant here. And this is where I went for the juggler with the, or the egalitarian uh, female professor that I was addressing. I said, no, 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 no. We're dealing with a created order. This is, this is vastly different. And, and that's why if you argue that submission over here is a cultural norm, then to me you have no grounds to argue against homosexuality in the New Testament. Just Because that would be a cultural issue as well, you could argue. But when Romans 1 takes homosexuality, says, no, this is a, a turning upside down of God's created order. The role of submission is rooted in God's created order. Then we got to, it's not, a, it goes back to Genesis. It goes back to where we're taking this. <clears throat> However, again, ontologically, there is no distinction. And that's what, you know, the straw man argument against uh, the view that, there's the distinction of function. You're saying, oh, women are inferior. No, 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 no. Uh, and Peter's not saying that. I, I quoted Grudem in, his, in your notes there. He says, submission to authority is often consistent with equality and importance, dignity and honor. Jesus was subject both to his parents and to God the Father. That's very significant. Christ is head of the church, but it talks about his relationship to the, the, fa the Father uh, Jesus and the Father are one. Ontologically, they're the same, yet they have a distinct in, in function. That relationship becomes a model for husbands and wives, doesn't it? And we can look at that in 1 Corinthians. We can look at that in Ephesians. Uh, <clears throat> but this is not, again, I, nowhere in, in the New Testament do I see a distinction in, in, in with women and men when it comes to issues of intellect, it comes to issues of spirituality, issues of emotions. Now, you're going to say, well, there's an issue of weaker vessel here. We'll get to that in a minute, all right? But even in 3.7, he says, there, you are fellow heirs with these women, which has enormous ramifications, by the way. We'll get to that in a minute. <clears throat> Questions on this? This is huge because I, I you... A lot of theologians want to argue, well, this is a cultural issue uh, and this is not applicable to today. The problem is, again, 1 Corinthians 11 says, no, this is God's created order. This is God's design. This is how he has done it. Now, yes, uh, Eugene? The Hebrew word for man is ish. The feminine is isha. And the only difference with man and woman is feminine distinctive. Yeah, there, we could talk about femininity and masculinity and even in the, the terms themselves. You're right. I know. Yes? We're, in BSF, we're studying uh, Joshua, and at the end of it, 
talking to the Israelite men to go intermarry. If their wives are to submit, how would that be a big issue uh, to do that? Because if the wives they marry would submit to them their Judaism, Okay, the question was about Joshua and the command that the Hebrew men aren't to marry Gentile women. The, the bottom line is the women are going to, just, they're going to take their hearts in, to foreign gods. That's the bottom line. And, and God's also his desire for purity within the camp. Uh, Jews only marrying Jews. But, but if the men, Jewish men know their wives are to submit, they would like, that's not going to work for you. Because <clears throat> submission is ideal, never works. Uh, just, just look at David and, and Solomon, right? I mean, look, look what happened to them. They married foreign women, and what happened? They were embracing. I mean, Solomon's building temples or altars to pagan gods, but that's a little, uh, yeah. And, and we're dealing as well uh, here. We're dealing with a, a transformed heart. <clears throat> so submission is possible with the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I would argue it's very hard. We'll get to that in a minute. Let me, let me move on. And then I, another thing here that we see, the purpose for her submission is not to stroke her husband's ego or to even look pious. Careful. Her submission, the text tells us why in verse 1. Well, why is it? So that she can lead her husband to Christ. That's part of, that is the reason that Peter gives for why she needs to submit. Now, in Ephesians 5, we do it, we're told wives are doing it as unto the Lord. So whether your husband is a louse or not, you're to submit. Now, man, we're not off the hook, all right? We'll get to you in a minute. Um, it's interesting, he says in verse 2, Peter says, when, you, when they see your pure and reverent conduct, that is uh, conduct that is behavior out of, of fear, that is not towards her husband, that's towards God. Uh, because anytime fear is used here in Peter and in the New Testament, it's a reference to the Lord. And I mentioned that at the bottom of your notes, one commentary, Kate Tater rightly states that wives do not submit to satisfy a husband's ego, to avoid conflict, or even to show how pious, I love that, rather a wife submits out of her trust and love for the Lord. And that is spot on. That's what's going on here. It's what governed the slaves' behavior to their masters. It was what governs citizens and their relationship to the government. And then also we state that her submission to her husband is not absolute. What do I mean by that? I mentioned there at the top of page two of your notes, disobeying moral norms to protection of life. A wife is first <clears throat> accountable to the Lord. So she's not a doormat. Submission doesn't mean that she rolls over when she's abused. No, 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 no. Um, I have no problem counseling a woman to, to seek separation for the purpose of restoration, but restoration or separation, I think is a viable option when the, the husband is a louse, when there's some real issues that need to be addressed. So, man, you're not off the hook. This is not, oh, I can then just do whatever I want. Uh-uh. And it doesn't mean that a woman just rolls over and plays dead uh, when it comes to issue of spiritual things, etc. She has a responsibility for her own well-being before the Lord as well as her children. So that has to play into here. This has to factor in. 
questions on that? That's, that's, there's so many here. These are loaded issues. We can spend a whole day just discussing this, but since we're not the women, we'll move on, right? Let your beauty not be external. Uh, I remember Vance Havner used to say, but if the bar needs painted, go ahead and paint it. But the braiding of hair, wearing of gold jewelry, or literally the Greek says putting on clothes. In other words, there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, hairdos, getting those perms, or, or wearing fine jewelry. If there was, then she should walk around naked because the last line is putting on clothes. Uh, the Net Bible translates it fine clothes, trying to smooth it o- over. But that's not the issue. It's the same elsewhere in the New Testament. Uh, monies, uh, finances, uh, there's nothing wrong with wealth. It's what's done with the wealth, the love of money. Or in this case, <clears throat> the issue is that she's, uh, she's not concerned with what's going on here in the heart. Um, remember when you used to date and you see a, a beautiful gal and then she opened her mouth and you go, oh, she's really ugly. You look pretty on the outside. Man, that character on the inside is so awful. Get away from her. That's, he's talking about the inside, that, that which is imperishable. It goes back to chapter one, right? Ladies, this is what you need to be worrying about. This is what, what needs to be. You need to have a behavior. Notice what he says. I love this line, which is precious in God's sight. What's precious in God's sight? Look back at chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Here it is. Look at this. You have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him, so that you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, because you're obtaining the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In other words, what's precious in God's sight, believers living out their faith with an understanding there's an end game, end goal. There's an eternity involved. And so he's saying to women, you need to focus on the inward. There's nothing wrong with the outward. You know, our daughter's at the point where she's starting to wear makeup, <laughs> much to my chagrin. Anyway, um, it's expensive too. Yeah, um, you know, so she wants to wear this makeup. I'm going, we've had some little talks about it's the heart that you need to worry about, not the exterior. She got all upset because her foundation wasn't going on right. She said, whoa, 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 I got a real problem. Uh, if, if this is an issue, we're going to put the makeup away because what is down here is ugly right now, and that's what you need to be worrying about. That's the heart issue. And that's what he's saying to these ladies. He's saying, listen, you know, you, you may think you look great, but if the heart's wrong, we got a real problem, right? So... As I mentioned there, uh, Schreiner makes this great statement. It's there. He says that they're to put their hope in God like the, the Old Testament women. Uh, that goes back to chapter 1. All this ties together. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. He says in one thirteen. Therefore, get your minds ready for action, being fully sober, and set your hope completely on the grace. It's one of those four commands, right, that we saw that's interwoven in all of our interactions with those around us. He says, set your hope. And, and Schreiner goes on to state that informs us that these women of the Old Testament did not submit to their husbands because they believed their husbands were superior intellectually or spiritually. Uh-uh. They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God would reward all those who put their trust in Him. There's the line. So, I t- you know, I speak to the women for a minute, we don't have any in the room, 
but the reason you submit and the reason you do all this is your hope in the Lord, your faith in Him. This is echoed Ephesians 5. This stuff preaches. It's not very popular today, but that's what we see here. And to the women, he says, listen, God has called you. This is the role that he's placed you in, and this is what he longs for you. And so I mentioned there, the church should not be filled with women who are rebellious or possess an attitude of superiority. I mean, that's the whole thing. You notice what he says here in the text? You're to be, a verse 4, gentle and tranquil spirit. In other words, the word gentle there is being not being pushy. <laughs> I've seen a lot of women in the news lately uh, that don't fit this paradigm. Uh, I mean, yeah, we, we, oh, amen. Uh, we don't mean women in the room, so we can say that. But um, if you're single, I mean, who are, take an evaluation of the girl you're dating. How is she stacking up to this? Because we've got a problem. If you have daughters that aren't married yet, man, I'd be instructing them, honey, this, this is what, what we need to be following. This is what, what the Lord has instructed. And, and honing that into their lives and saying, this is, and if you got a son who's dating, buddy, come here a second. We need to talk. This is the kind of wife that you need to be looking for. Again, it is not our role to force our wife into this model. We lead and pray for them, but it's not our role to see that they submit. So be very careful. And that fits this next uh, paradigm, and we'll get there in a minute. But notice who he uses as an example. He uses Sarah. And this text has given uh, gas to a lot of uh, theologians, particularly female theologians, because Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, called him Lord. It simply means he, she called him uh, master or a recognition that he was in charge. And it's interesting, many theologians believe this is this incident that Peter's referring to is when Sarah was told she was going to be pregnant and give birth. And she does not retaliate. She doesn't, you got to be kidding. I'm 90 years old or soon to be. Uh, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want kids at 90. Um, and, and one theologian makes this comment. It's in your notes. He said that even in these casual situations, Sarah respected Abraham's leadership and possessed a customary attitude of submission. My wife's a great example. She's a strong-willed woman. <laughs> uh, she'll be the first to admit that. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't need me. She's. She's. She could function quite well on her own, but she is epitome to me of submission and respect. Uh, at times I don't deserve it. Uh, a lot of times, but I. I, I see this. I said, you, you reflect Sarah to me. This is the kind of um, individual that we long for our, our son to marry. This is what I long for my daughter to be, is someone who recognizes, no, this is the place God has me, and my focus is on Christ. Um, well, let's look at husbands. That's enough of the women, right? We thought we were off the hook. He says to men, husbands in the same way, and, and I think this is one of respect. Um, he says, treat your wives with consideration. I don't like the net rendering here. It really reads according to knowledge. And scholars go, well, what does that mean? 
treat your wife with knowledge that you have. Is that knowledge <clears throat> that is personally related? In other words, knowledge that I know her well, I know what makes her tick, I know what she likes, you know, what's her love language or whatever you want to call it. Or <clears throat> are we talking about knowledge that's spiritually based? In other words, the, the things of the Lord, God's plan. I'm going to argue it's both. I'm going to punt. But I think it could be both. In fact, I don't think they're exclusive. And I mentioned that in your notes. Uh, the knowledge is ultimately beneficial to husband's-wife uh, relationship. I mentioned knowledge of God's purpose and principles for marriage certainly includes a husband knowing his wife's desires, goals, strengths, and weaknesses. So I think it's both. I think that's why it's a little unclear. It says, husbands, treat your wives with knowledge of the things of the Lord which is ultimately going to entail knowing her personally, loving her. Uh, Ephesians says, right? You're to love her as Christ loves the church. And the last time I looked, he gave his life for the church. So it's very significant. I'm going to argue if we follow the paradigm here, submission is not an issue for wives. Most women, <laughs> not all. Well, I know there's some exceptions. But I, I think if we're truly loving our wife and we know her well and function accordingly, um, a lot of these issues of submission, et cetera, are going to go to the wayside. Now, we'll get to some things here in a minute. One of the questions I asked in this is, well, then, how do you obtain this knowledge? I, the, the, the first one is very obvious. How do you obtain spiritual knowledge? Scriptures. Scriptures, God's Word, right? If it was our culture teaching us the, the paradigm or the role of husbands and wives, we'd be in serious trouble. That's why it's, especially in our culture, reading a text like this is so, whew, you know, it's like a spinal tap to some people. I mean, it's not good to hear because our culture has a whole different paradigm than what God has. And so knowing men, how we're to live, it's true. What about the first part, knowing our wives? How do we, how do, we do that? Trial and error. <laughs> <clears throat> Trial and error. Yes, true, true. Yeah, not only ask, but listen. I've seen men interact. You got your phone and you're, you're texting while she's telling you a story, right? Oh, oops, one moment. Or your one eye is on the TV, game going on, and she's trying to tell you something. I'm just as guilty. She's going to hear where I said, uh, yeah, what? <laughs> Listen, women have a lot more words to use, at least my wife does. <laughs> yep, yep. Ask and listen. How else do we know our wives? How are we going to know them? Spending time with them? Spending time? When's the last time you took your wife out on a date? Just you and her. Not the kids. Just the two of you. Uh, there's a lot here to work with, isn't there? <laughs> we... Peter's right. If we're to treat our wives, we have to do that with the knowledge of them. 
And that knowledge is governed by noting, he says, that they are the weaker vessel. And again, there is a lot of ink been spilled on this sucker. <laughs> One thing for certain, we've just stated, it can't be issues of spirituality. It can't be issues that they're inferior emotionally or intellectually. Scripture never teaches that. I defy you to find a spot. It doesn't. The only logical conclusion we're dealing with here is that it's physical. As a whole, as a group, they're inferior and when it comes to physical uh, issues. And, and there's still that Greco-Roman culture, which I mentioned there in your notes, where women were seen as vulnerable uh, objects physically for abuse, etc. And they didn't have as many recourses as they would today in America. Uh, there's centers they can go to, there's lawsuits they can file, uh, etc. But <clears throat> uh, a husband could exploit his wife pretty easily in a Greco-Roman world. And he says, listen, man, if we know this, then we need to, to be caring for them. This isn't caring for them not only spiritually, because we're head of the home, but caring for them emotionally, uh, physically, etc. The, we should be their safe haven. We should be the first person they come to when they got an issue. Amen. Right? And I would argue women should be our greatest cheer, our wives should be our greatest cheerleaders. And, and when I counsel couples that are going to get married, I say, you're his greatest cheerleader, you're her safe haven. You tell her she looks beautiful. You tell her you love her. <laughs> if love language is flowers, you buy her flowers. You bring them in, surprise her. If she likes going on a date or favorite restaurant, and if it's White Castle, you take her to White Castle. Right? And I look across this room, and there are a lot of guys, you're doing it well. Keep it up. And I know there's some who are struggling in their marriage, and this is a hard pill to swallow. Our, our, our focus is on Christ. And at times, she may not be the type of person you just want to respect and affirm. That's not your choice. She's your wife, and you're to do that and cherish her. I mentioned the top of page three of your notes uh, he says to these weaker partners that we're to show honor. I said, honor entails respect and affirmation of one's wife both privately and publicly. That's key. And placing her in high priority with choices regarding the use of one's resources. I mean, there's the real rub. <clears throat> if you want to determine how healthy a man's relationship with his, with his wife, just look at his pocketbook and his calendar. And that'll tell me everything I need to know. Is she top priority? Even over the kids. Careful. I see couples that their whole world revolves around their kids. And after they're out of the home, they have no marriage. <laughs> they don't know who's who in the home. Careful. He says, husbands, you're to, to show honor. And he gives two reasons for this. And it's very significant. <clears throat> he says, first of all, men and women are joint heirs of eternal life. I mentioned in your notes, that is, think about that for a minute. If you understand that you are both equipped with the same spiritual privileges and eternal importance, how will that affect your words, your actions, everything you do? Think about that for a minute. She's not inferior. You're in the same game. And then secondly, oops, going back, don't look at that yet. Show you my cards. Uh, the second is, and this is the kicker at the very last line, in this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, men, if we don't honor our wives, 
if we don't know them well, we're going to have a real problem with our relationship with the Lord. That's the real rub. Um, it was a few months ago I had a guy trying to argue about a theological point. And something wasn't right. I just knew. And I said, you know, I'm not here to discuss theology. Um, we need to be walking in love, etc. The context just wasn't good. Come to find out he's been having a ton of affairs. And I thought, you know, that's something. Here you are trying to wax eloquent on theology, and your life is a shipwreck. Really? Um, uh, we... we don't stand up and pray in the church service um, because God isn't going to hear you if you're not respecting and honoring your wife. The, the two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And that fits because if we went back to that first model we saw on those four commands that he's, he's weaving through this, how can you honor, uh, show reverence to the Lord, love one another, and, and, and expect to have any relationship it all flows out of a, of a salvation experience that you've had. And it affects how we interact with our wives. Well, <clears throat> I'm about to run over, so let me just give you three things to walk with, and there's plenty here we could do. Number one, we need to take time to develop and maintain a, a good relationship with our wives. After all, it's God's will. That's the point. In Ephesians 5, you can read later on your own, um, uh, I love this. How, how come you never say that you love me anymore? And the man says, well, I told you once. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Uh, no, no. She needs to hear it daily. I love you. You look beautiful. You know, it's the first thing I say when and my daughter comes down, even though she looks orange like a pumpkin from the makeup. You look beautiful, darling. Uh, a little too much makeup, but you look great. Um, we need to develop, maintain a good marriage. Secondly, honoring your wife is not contingent. Catch this on whether or not your wife respects you. Careful. In fact, we are truly honor our wives. The subject of submission, as I mentioned, becomes a far less controversial issue. And I really believe that. Um, <clears throat> you realize the only thing that is contingent on honoring your wife is your relationship with the Lord. That's pretty scary. Think about that. Mull that over. And then finally, I know there's some in the room you're saying, hey, this is really hard to hear this morning because, uh, you know, I've, I have some uh, broken marriage uh, or we've ended in divorce. Here's the good news. God forgives all confess sin. Or you're in a, you've not respected your wife. Great. What are you going to do today? We cannot relive the past, but we can move forward in our service to the Lord. So let me encourage you to do that. Um, again, um, there's a lot here. <laughs> uh, and as, as Dick stated, it's true, there's trial and error as we grow and we improve our relationship with our spouses. I've given you another page of some things you might want to work through. It really is looking at Ephesians 5, which is such a key text to the role of husbands and wives but I, I would dare say that some of the societal problems we have today is because, men, we've not loved our wives well. And we've not led spiritually in showing respect and honor. So just a challenge to all of us, huh? Lord, 
there's a, a lot here to deal with. Only seven verses, actually only one relates to us. And it, is, it takes a lifetime to fulfill. Help us, Lord. And for those in this room where there's broken marriages, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And I pray that we'd move forward. Help us for those of us who have children, both boys and girls, and showing them and modeling what true biblical manhood and womanhood is. Thank you for these men. Guide us today, Lord, as we attempt to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.